God wants to meet us where we are, doesn't he? And I was thinking too, just as she was sharing and as we were praying, it, it might even just be a foreign concept to you that, uh, that you can sense God's voice, that he wants to speak to you. Uh, and it's one of the hallmarks, I would say, of the beliefs here at City Life is that we believe that God is a living presence and that he's an active voice and, and that, that, that he's not an idea to believe in, he's a father to know. He's a father to know, and every perfect father is present in the lives of their children, and every perfect father has things that he wants to say to his children. And so if, if those concepts are foreign to you, whether it's this church or another church, I, I hope that you get plugged in somewhere, because learning how to feel God's voice, to sense his voice, has a lot to do with the environments and the settings that you put yourself in. You don't show up to... Burger King and order something off of the Chick-fil-A menu. You might want to, right? But it's not there. You tracking with me? You've got to be in the right place for the right things. And so if, if, if feeling God speak to you, if knowing God as a, as a father, as a friend is foreign to you, then I would suggest, I would suggest you're not spending enough time in the right places where that part of who you are can begin to know who he is. And in settings, just like we share together, in settings and environments where you can be awakened to God's presence. This, I just want to share this before we get into the message. This is uh, Chrissy Facile uh, shared this with me this week, and I wanted to share it with you. And uh, it, it says, while Doug and I were serving at the City Life Workday, I sensed the Holy Spirit saying, this was just this past Saturday morning, not this morning, but last Saturday, and, uh, and this is what she wrote. This is what she wrote. This is what she felt like I was speaking to her. I'm folding up the old things and I'm unfolding new things. I'm placing a blueprint and a strategy in your hands. And then she writes, this will bless you, your children, the City Life family, the 757, and the nations. And, and then she writes, then during the Saturday service, which was last Saturday night, this word continued to resonate in my heart while I watched the Legacy Weekend video, Sacred Promise, the Lord breaking new ground in us. And then she writes how the two young people, two of the three that were baptized, talked about starting a new chapter in their life, about letting go of things. She says, yes, the Lord is folding up the old things and old chapters and unfolding new chapters she writes, my heart swells with hope when I consider all the Lord is preparing for his people. This is not just about us. There is much work to be done. He is still writing his story on our hearts. And we must position to hear his voice. So Father, help us to be that church. Help us to be a people that are well positioned, that we are continually coming back to settings just like this that we want to know you as our Father. We want that part of who we are that you created in us that can be in relationship with you, that can feel your voice, that can know you in deep and confident ways, God. Help us to be that church and help us to be a church that inspires that in others. Come on, in Christ's name, and everybody said... Amen. Well, welcome to our series, Eden. We're in the home stretch. I do just want to, again, I gave a word of caution last week. I'm going to give it this week as well. 
Next week, uh, which is going to be entitled Born to Enjoy, is going to be a sermon on human sexuality. Uh, We teach on that every couple of years or so. Uh, One of my frustrations personally uh, in my adult life is how the church has been absent in the conversation about sexuality, and uh, and we're not going to be a church that's uh, silent when it comes uh, to human sexuality. And so uh, it's present in the story of Eden. It's central in the story of Eden. So I'm just letting you know if you tend to bring your young kids into service with you, that's not going to be the week for them to be in here. They're going to learn some words that you might not be prepared for them to know yet. So, uh, okay, word of caution for that next week. All right, so uh, Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Genesis 1, 26 to 27, if you've got your Bibles with you. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, God created man in his own image and in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. That's out of the New American Standard Version. Tonight's message is born to create, born to create. And my goal tonight is I'm going to change the way you think about your job. My goal tonight is to change the way you think about where you're going to show up on Monday morning. Maybe for some of you, it's where you're going to show up later tonight. Maybe for some of you, it's going to where you're going to show up tomorrow. The, the church for far too long has created a barrier and a separation between what has tend to, tended to be called the sacred and the secular. And, 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 and I'm buying into this theological stream that's been moving throughout Christianity for several years now is that that line needs to go away. There's, there's not a wall between the sacred and the secular. There's just a wall between the sacred and the selfish. And that what you do in your job, if you're doing it for the right reasons, that it's just as much as ministry, as anybody that works for a church. All right, Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Now, there's two words. We got into this back in January for our anniversary service, so I want to revisit it some, this this idea of the image of God, the Imago Dei, but we talked about it in the context of what it means for us as a church together collectively, and so we laid a foundation then. I knew I was going to come back to it at some point this year because I want to dig around in it a little bit because it's instructive for us of who we are also individually. So there's two words that you'll find in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. One is the word image, and then the other is the word likeness. Now, now sometimes if you're reading a book, or you, you know that, that uh, there's a thesaurus, right? Especially if you're in school and you're writing a paper, and you're looking for different words that mean the same thing. But that's not how this is supposed to read. These are two very distinct words that have different meanings, as we're going to see. The first one, image, is the Hebrew word salim. Now, this word's important because as you continue to study the Old Testament, it's the exact same word that's used for idolatry. Same word. It's curious, isn't it? That the word that the Holy Spirit would inspire the author of Genesis to give us to talk about we're created in the image of God is the same word as you begin to read throughout the Old Testament and as people begin to fall away from God and they were given to idolatry, it's the same exact word. Now, the reason why it's the same word, because it talks about something that is made. It's talking about something that has been created. Now, the reason why that word is used for idolatry is because the sin of idolatry is that that you 
are worshiping something that was created. That the creator is worshiping the created. Now, the reason why that's part of idolatry, because deep down inside in our humanity, that's what ultimately we long for. We want God to do for us. We want him to worship us instead of us worshiping him. Right? That's what the essence of sin is. The sin that entered the world in the Garden of Eden came by Lucifer, and that sin started in a rebellion in heaven where he wanted to displace God. He wanted to be the one, right? The one that had been created wanted to be the one that was now worshipped. So that's why this word is appropriately used for idolatry all throughout the Old Testament. See, you and I were created by God. Now, we're supposed to create, as we're going to see tonight, but we're only ever supposed to create under the identity of one who has been created. And that which we create is supposed to always be ultimately for his glory and never our own. Then we have this other word. It's demut in the Hebrew. It's the word likeness. And likeness simply means to resemble something. It means to look like something. So like for those of you that have young children, everybody, right, is trying to figure out who do they look more like. You or, or, or do they look like your, your wife? Or, or oftentimes, if, if you're familiar with family, you might find that, that children look like a relative. I know for us, Ethan, our middle son, if you put his elementary school age pictures next to my mother's elementary school age pictures, next to my sister's middle child, right? It's curious, they're both middle. Next to my sister's middle daughter, they look like triplets, right? They resemble each other. There is a likeness that comes oftentimes in family, in in creation. And God is saying here in the story of creation that we are supposed to bear his image and his likeness, that we are created by him and we are supposed to resemble him, the Imago Dei. Now, Irenaeus, who's an early church theologian, and when I say early, I really mean really old because he lived from 135 to 205, right? So if the years that you were born, it only has three digits, right? That's old. How many of you can relate to your own uh, internet, you're, you're logging on or creating a membership and you have to scroll forever to get to your year you were born, right? <laughs> Mine's 1967 and it keeps getting farther and farther and farther down the list. Irenaeus, right? He's going to be scrolling for days, 135 to 205. Now, there's lots of ideas, and I don't know which one you buy into. I'm just sharing the one that I buy into. But Irenaeus taught that this idea of the image of God and the likeness of God are two very distinct things in the sense that the image of God means that we are people who have a free will and the ability to reason, which sets us apart from other living creatures, meaning that we are not a slave to instinct, or we're not supposed to be, right? That we have the ability to choose, and we have the ability to reason. And then likeness, the likeness of God means that we have a moral compass. And the reason why those two things work hand in hand is because the image that I have, the ability to choose, the ability to think, should always be instructed by my moral compass. And then if I don't have a moral compass, then I'm going to tend to always choose what serves myself. The image and the likeness of God, Imago Dei. Now let's look at Genesis 5, 1 through 3. Laying a foundation here. Genesis 5, 1 through 3. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him, listen to what it says, in the likeness, which is the Hebrew word demut, in the likeness of God. 
He created them male and female. He blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. Now, verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, now, right, so it's after the fall. The first sin has been committed. Listen to what it says. He became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Now, why is this in there? Because the Holy Spirit is trying to help us to understand that mankind lost something. We lost our moral compass. So that the children of Adam, which is all of us, the descendants of Adam, that when we are born into this world, we are born with free will, we're born with the ability to reason, there is part, there's the image of God that stays with us, but the likeness of God, the moral compass, that's been lost. That's what was sacrificed through the first sin that entered into the world. And the reason why Irenaeus believes that mankind retained the image of God but lost his likeness was because one day we would need free will to choose the likeness of God once again because God had a plan. God had a plan for his likeness to be restored to us. Not by virtue of something on the outside that looked like him, but something within. Listen to these verses in John 1, 12 to 13. Speaking of Jesus, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, listen to what it says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, talking about a physical birth or a natural birth, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's why the New Testament picks up this theme, this metaphor, this idea that equates you and I making a vow of devotion to Christ to birthing. It's not just so that to help us to understand it by comparing it to something in our natural world, but he's teaching us something about what was lost. That when you and I make a vow of devotion to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, the moral compass that Adam and Eve lost is restored to mankind. So that our ability to choose in this life, our ability to to make decisions, our ability to, to reason is now supposed to be instructed by the Holy Spirit who is inside of us, the Imago Dei. Image and likeness restored through Christ and Christ alone. So if free will and reason and moral compass is the perfect picture of who God is, what happens when those three things are perfectly aligned? And that's where we're going tonight in the story of creation in Genesis 1, 1 through 3. See, because I believe that in the story of creation, when God says, as we already read, as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right, let us, as they said it together, let's make man in our image and in our likeness, it comes where it does in the text because God, through the verses that were before, was revealing to us what we're supposed to look like. He was showing to us who he is and now what we're supposed to resemble. Let me show you what I mean. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless 
It was void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, if we were to keep reading, right, you're finding the story of creation, that over these next six days, whether or not they were a literal day or not, we don't know, right, but over these next six days, God began to do the work of creating the world. And it was when he was finished creating, right, on this last day, the last part of the sixth day where he creates man and says, let me make them in our image and in our likeness. And I think that it's instructive because all of it goes together because God is saying to Adam and who would soon be Eve, who he creates next, is that part of carrying the Imago Dei is that you were supposed to be who I am and who I am, I'm a creator. I create things for the betterment of others. Part of who I am, my very nature is to give birth to things that make the world better for other people. And this is my Imago Dei that I now give to you. That you are to now go out and you are to create. That you are now to go out and build. And you are to go out and make this world that I created. I'm going to put something in you, abilities in you, passions in you, and interests and desires in you to make the world better for your fellow man. And when we walk in that, we walk in the Imago Dei. We see God as a creator, someone who is working, who is building for the betterment of others. He equates through his own actions, creating with productivity. All right, so some of you are going to have to reach way back here. We like participation here at City Life. What was your very first job? Right? Very first job. Bagger? Shipyard? Bagger? Gap? Gap? Target? Cart boy at Food Lion. Big T Burger. Big T Burger. That makes me hungry just thinking about it. Uh, Skyride Bush Gardens. Skyride at Bush Gardens. Janitor. Janitor. Sub shop. Keep going. Bar back at Hilton. Bar back at Hilton, yes. Paper girl. Paper girl. Sold Christmas trees, like at a lot, where they would come to the lot, yeah, Scotty? Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen. Laser Rush? Laser Rush, like a laser tag? Yes, all right. Anybody else coming down the line? Coming down the line? No? McDonald's. Washing dishes at Sal's. The one up in, was it in Williamsburg, that one? It's gone, it's gone, all right, all right. I'm coming around, I'm coming around, coming around, first job. Security guard, ice cream scooper in a shop or on the street. We don't have to talk about it. Okay, we don't have to talk about it. It's a bad memory. Say that again. Pothole filler. A pothole filler, like working behind an asphalt truck. Gravel roads. That's hard work. Somebody else. Lifeguard. I sold magazines in an old man's basement. Sold magazines in an old man's. Does Jeremy know about this? Yes. Okay. Oh, restaurant dishwasher, dishwasher. collections, Collections. golden skillet, skillet. bingo runner, runner. like, like people playing bingo, come on, somebody else, babysitting, some, anybody up here, anybody up here have a job, all right, your first job, come on, bag boy at at the golf course, yeah. Now, Tim, swim instructor. 
Now, how many of you, out of all those jobs that you named, when you went home after your first day of work, if you were familiar with church world and church language, went home and thought to yourself, I had my first day of ministry today. Anybody? All of you qualify for that except for selling magazines in a man's basement. I'm just saying. That might not qualify. Oh. Or when you showed up at church, if you were a church person, and you showed up at church, and somebody says, how was your week? And you were like, I got my very first job. And they said, what, what were you doing? And then you told them what were you doing. How many of you, the person in the church, said to you, you just did your first day of ministry? Right? We, don't, we didn't think that way because we've been raised to think that there is a wall, that there is a separation between the sacred and the secular, and I don't think that's anywhere in Scripture. We're going to change the way that you think about your work. We're going to change the way that you think about your job because you were born to create. And when you give your hand to something, to serve others for the betterment of others, you are walking in the Imago Dei. And that's what ministry looks like. Genesis 2, 18 to 25. Stay with me. This is a chunk. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Jamal, amen. <laughs> Somebody just got engaged. I know. Yeah. I will make a Madeline who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground, listen to what it says, all the wild animals. It's interesting how the text turns here, right? It's talking about man, talking about him. He's by himself. He's alone. He's, he needs someone. But the text does not go to the next place, which is about creating woman. It goes to creating animals. So the Lord God formed from the ground, right? It doesn't say the woman. No, no. All the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him, so the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep in the recliner with his mouth open. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he, he brought her to the man. At last the man exclaimed, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. And now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame again. That's next week's sermon. It's interesting to me the first job that God gave to Adam. You ever, you ever thought about that before? Now we know that one of the reasons why he did it the way he did it is because he was trying to create a felt need in mankind for the partnership that he would need. He didn't just want to tell him that he needed a partner. He wanted him to feel it, right? He wanted there to be an emotional connection. So he spent all of this time with Adam naming all the animals, and he saw that they all had a partner. There was a counterpart, male and female. And so, so God wanted Adam to feel the, the, the void in his life. But that's not the only reason, I don't think. 
It's interesting that when God said to Adam, I'm going to give you a job, he did not say, I'm going to teach you how to make a musical instrument, and then I'm going to teach you how to sing so that you can worship because that's spiritual. He, he didn't say, hey, let's go over here. I'm going to show you how to make paper out of this certain kind of reed, and then I'm also going to show you how to make ink, and, and then I'm going to start to tell you things, truths that you need to know to live by. And when you wake up every morning, you read them and you think about me because that's spiritual. That's not the job that he gave him. The first job that God gave man was a zoologist. Yeah. Adam was a scientist before he was anything else. He had the responsibility of categorizing and naming and organizing the knowledge and the information that would flow from there about the animal kingdom. How many of you have ever thought of a zoologist being ministry? Some of you, you thought science was from hell itself. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Science is the first job in Scripture. Now, I think, there's a reason, I think there's a reason for that. And I think it goes far deeper than just this idea of God trying to help Adam to see that he needed a partner. I think it was God setting into motion, right, because he knows all of history as it plays out, is that he was trying to say in the very beginning, do not put a wall between the secular and the sacred. The wall exists between the sacred and the selfish. And everything that is sacred is any job and any work that you would do, whether or not it's traditionally spiritual or not, if you're doing it to serve others, if you're doing it for the betterment of others, whether you are a custodian or whether or not you are a groundbreaking neurosurgeon, it is the imago day if you're doing it to serve your fellow man. And that's ministry. Now, I think that there's also hidden meaning here as well, is that if you're a young man and you're in interested in young ladies, that you also have to get a job before you get to meet her. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. When Claire's 45 and we let her start dating, and that young man comes knocking on the door to ask permission to date, I'm going to say, do you know Jesus and do you have a J-O-B, right? Because <laughs> all of that is in the Bible. And we're going to have that conversation at the gun range. Just saying. Listen to this. God was teaching Adam something that was very important for us to understand in the human experience. Ruling doesn't mean we are entitled, but rather it means we are responsible to work, to create, and to be productive for the betterment of others. See, he gives them this command, he declares over him that, that you will rule. But I think in our human experience and what we see in the world around us, even through the own brokenness of our own humanity, we equate ruling with being entitled. We, we equate ruling with being in charge. We, 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 create, we, we equate ruling with other people always deferring to us. We, we equate ruling with, with, with you're here to do for me. Now, we understand authority. We understand organization. We understand that there are times where someone has to be in charge. We understand times where, where someone who is a leader has to, has to set the preference. 
But the question is, at the end of the day, is what's your heart? No matter how high you rise in any organization, no matter what exists under you in the organizational chart, the question is that you have to keep asking yourself is, are you walking in the Imago Dei? Are you expressing this idea that you were born to create in the sense that God has put us in this world to serve one another, to be productive for the betterment of others? Does it mean that we shouldn't enjoy the fact that we get a salary? Does it mean that we shouldn't have ambition? No, absolutely not. The question is, at the end of the day, what's the driving motivation behind you? If your motivation ultimately is for the advancement of your standard of living is only for your own enjoyment, then you're devolving into a place of selfishness and out of the world of sacredness. Should we enjoy what we have? I think we should. I think it's part of the human experience. I think God wants us to spend a portion of our income on frivolous things to have fun. I do. It just can't be where we spend all of our money. The wealth that is given to us is supposed to be for us to put in to this world something that serves our fellow man. The creation story, God reveals himself to us first and foremost as a creator. And then he says, I'm going to create man in my image and in my likeness. He's saying to you and me, be a creative force in this world just like me. Having a vocation, let me share these thoughts with you. Having a vocation, a job, a responsibility that serves the betterment of others, that defines you as being a productive, contributing member of society is a beautiful reflection of the Imago Dei. Not only is being a productive, contributing member of society a reflection of the Imago Dei, not only is it you and I walking in God's mandate that we were born to create. Listen to this. Here comes the turn and where we're headed for the rest of our time together. But I believe that as we create for others... We are also shaping ourselves. As we give our lives to this idea of being a creator, of walking out the Imago Dei, not only are we serving for the betterment of others, but when we serve for the betterment of others, we're also building ourselves in both time and eternity. We did a small group, last small group term, this little book called Work, The Meaning of Your Life. If this idea of faith, work, and economics is really what we're talking about tonight, which is this new theological stream that's moving throughout Christianity that I believe has been missing for far too long. This is by Lester DeCoster. This book will be up here, not for you to take because this is mine, but you can take a picture of it and order it. Not giving that away. Got all my notes in there. This is a powerful book. It's changing the way people think about their work in ways that we should be changed. Matthew 25, 31 to 33. Listen to this. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at the right hand and the goats out at his left. Listen to what DeCosta, he breaks out this parable in a way I've never heard anybody teach it before. His first observation is that we don't show up at judgment and become sheep or goats. When we show up, we are already one or the other. He sorts us based on who we are already 
when we get there. Verses 35 to 40, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty or give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked or give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Now, what DeCoster postulates, what I'm a firm believer in now, is because you and I have been raised up in a church culture, in a church world that separates the spiritual, I mean, the, 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 the sacred from the secular, right? Is that we've always read this as this is, this is very specific kind of ministry. But DeCoster says, no, it's not. These are all categories of economies and nations. Which is why the parable starts by gathering the nations unto himself. Fascinating stuff. Listen to what he says. He says, this whole idea of feeding the hungry is about agriculture. It's about the food industry. See, you were working at the golden skillet. Telling you, much you've done, at least of these, you've done it unto me. How about thirsty? He's talking about water-related trades, government agencies, municipalities, Clothing, I'm not going to work through the whole list. He's talking about manufacturing, textiles, real estate, insurance. It's amazing, right? When, when we have a bias, it becomes the filter that we see things through. But if we go all the way back to Genesis and we really begin to understand what the Imago Dei is all about, then all of a sudden when we get to the New Testament we begin to read these parables, it changes the way we think. And then what Jesus was saying is that when you walk in the Imago Dei, because you were born to create, when you serve other people for their betterment, when you live a productive life, when you're a contributing member of society, you are reflecting the image and the likeness of your father. Now, DeCoster explains, which I know some of you are already nervous, he's not saying that you get into heaven by the work that you do. He's saying that a person who makes a vow of devotion to Christ, that's what initially separates them from being either a sheep or a goat. But a person who makes a vow of devotion to Christ should now live their life in such a way that it's in service to others. Even if you are an executive, even if you are a person that owns businesses, right? The view of yourself and the work that you do should be that I'm doing all of this to make the world a better place. Being born to create isn't just about creating for the betterment of others. It's equally about creating for the betterment of ourselves. See, this is the power of this parable. As Jesus is saying, is that when you live your life this way, you're changing who you are. You're becoming more and more like the sheep that I called and created you to be. Your work isn't just serving others. It's serving you for time and eternity. Listen to this verse by Lester, this, this statement by Lester DeCoster. God has made us that through working, we actually sculpt the kind of selves we are becoming in time and eternity. That's rich, isn't it? It should change the way you think about your job. If you're a school teacher, you should think of yourself the same way a missionary would. You're in ministry. 
If you're a musician teaching music at a school, a band director at a college, you should think of yourself the same way that a pastor would of adult education. A custodian should think of themselves the same way as a preschool director. A neurologist should think of themselves as the same way as a church intern. A plumber should think of themselves as the same as an evangelist. Because there's no difference between the sacred and the secular. The secular becomes sacred when you walk in it as a devoted follower of Christ and you're doing and being who God made you to be for the betterment of others and as you serve the betterment of others, you shape yourself, becoming more and more like your Father in heaven. If I have made a vow of devotion to Christ and am pursuing my career to serve others for the betterment of society, then I am ministering to my world in Jesus' name. I'm going to invite the band to find their way back up. There's another part of this parable that's, that's sobering is that once they showed up on the day of judgment, they were already who they were going to be for all eternity. Which holds this human existence in a whole new light, doesn't it? Is that this is our time. This is our opportunity to grow into and to be shaped to become who we're supposed to be when we step into Eternity forever. And you cannot get away from this parable that some people showed up as a goat, not because they were the greatest of all time, (laughs) but because of all the opportunities they had when the gospel was presented to them, they said, no, thank you. And even if they thought that they lived a life in service to others because they pursued a profession that was noble, at the end of the day, they still rejected the one who came to save them. And that in and of itself ultimately is an act of selfishness. It's because what you're saying to Jesus, I'm going to do it myself. See, God gave us the ability to choose. He gave us the ability to reason. Because one day you and I are supposed to choose and are supposed to reason our way through a moment where we recognize that we're missing the moral compass. We have the image, but we lack the likeness. And Jesus says, I can help you with that. I'm here to restore it for you. And in that moment, we're born into God's family born into it. We become one of his children and resemblance is restored. Not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is in us. And it's supposed to give birth to something inside of us to go out and live our lives in such a way to serve our fellow man. To walk in the Imago Dei. Because you were born to create stand with me. Father, I pray that as we step into this moment of worship, I pray 
that even now that you would change the way for the rest of their lives how people think about the work that they do, the job that they have. I pray, God, that that, that there would just be a, a dismantling of the wall that has existed for far too long between the sacred and the secular and that we would see that it's only about sacred and selfish and for people that maybe have lived a life of selfishness, maybe as I'm praying now, they're thinking, that's me, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to whisper to them and help them to see a way forward, a path out of selfishness and into service. And I pray for every person that's here tonight, as they look back onto the story of their life, if they can't find a moment where they've made a vow of devotion to Christ, that they're going to find it in this song. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said, amen. Let's worship together. There's people up here every week at our services, people in the back, if you're closer there, if you're in the balcony, if you need someone to pray with you, you come.